0: Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Crabcakes and Football Scouse Love it, that's awesome. Um, Because that's what Maryland does. Uh, Today we're talking Maryland. Uh, The Terrapins uh, kind of close out our... Uh, Big Ten previews of the teams Northwestern will not be playing this year. Um, coming off a a weird, I mean, to to call last year a weird year, especially for one team or another, is doesn't make any sense. But uh, only Maryland only got five games in last year, finished two and three.
1: Um, it was it was extra weird for them, and frankly, that's been like the theme for what ten years. How many times have they have they had a linebacker at, at QB? Yeah, yeah, right.
0: True. Um, didn't have a linebacker QB this past year uh but we'll we'll talk about uh, the offense in just a sec John let's start off with that defense um yeah like last year as we were you know getting into our previews you came out and said this is the worst defense you've ever seen pretty much were they
2: so I mean let's say we kind of talked about this off the top more than even any other team in the big 10. It's kind of hard to peg Maryland due to the fact due to that 2020 schedule, right? So they played five games. There were big gaps between those games later in the season, but still based on the, the lowest of low bars I set for this defense, it's kind of hard to look at the defense without saying that it, overperformed, but here's the thing, that's kind of true and it's kind of not true. We predicted that this would be one of the worst defenses you would ever see on the earth, basically, and through two games that seemed pretty accurate because the terps came right out and they gave up mid-40s scores to Northwestern and Minnesota teams that didn't exactly light the world on fire offensively the rest of the way. And late in the season, the Terps gave up 27 to Rutgers, and they gave up 27 to Indiana in a game where Indiana throttled down early because the Terps were in no way at any point going to score points in that game. Except, between those four games, Maryland also played Penn State. And it's pretty hilarious because Order of Operations, we just previewed Penn State, and we had all this discussion about how, like, They sure look like a top three team in the East this year. And, you know, things can go a bunch of different ways for them. But if they get all their things squared away, like the ceiling for them could potentially be very high, yada, 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 yada. Um, But the bottom line here is that team that we talked about so much in that pod played this Maryland team last year. And Maryland held Penn State under 20 points sacked Sean Clifford seven times and picked him off twice. Were those seven sacks more than half of all of Maryland's sacks last year? Yes, they were. (laughs) (laughs) Were those two picks Maryland's only interceptions on the year? Yes, they were. But still, the chances of this defense having a game like that should have been 0.0% And I guess that has to count for something. So, look, the bottom line is, this was certainly a quite lousy defense. Just maybe not as atrocious as it could have been. So this defense did not play Ohio State, which would have hung hung 60 on the Terps. Um, But on the other hand, uh, they didn't play Michigan and Michigan State either. So I guess what I would say is, this is still a horrible, horrible defense that will always have that Penn State game. And maybe at least a tiny shred of optimism heading into 2021. So that optimism is basically baked into the defensive line. So if you recall, the Terps play a 3-4. So these guys up front are like big, beefy 3-4 defensive linemen. And when you look at the sack numbers that Mokite and Amy Final put up, and then you prorate them over a full season, theoretically... And then you realize that each of these guys are about 330 pounds. That's definitely something to build off of. Unfortunately, the good news basically ends there. Because again, we come back to that Penn State game, and we realize that nearly all of Kite and Finau's stats for the season are basically baked into that game. And I mean... Again, we talked about it when we did the Penn State pod, like what what the hell was going on in the interior of Penn State's offensive line at the start of the season. Um, But you stop and realize that three, four defensive linemen aren't supposed to be sack engines. And you realize that most of Maryland's sacks came from those guys in that game. And then you realize that there just ain't a whole lot here. Um, The stats will tell you, that Maryland had a top-five pass defense in the Big Ten last year, but that's mainly because Maryland was just absolutely god-awful against the run, and no one other than stupid Penn State tried to throw on them. So, theoretically, it would follow that a defense fronted by, like, 700 pounds spread across two defensive linemen who are gobbling up sacks would be good against the run? Nope. Nope. Maryland's D-line did not do an effective job at all absorbing linemen against the run. And the entire back seven was really young and really crappy, exactly as we predicted it would be. And unfortunately, the one guy who looked half-decent last year, linebacker Chance Campbell, transferred out after the season. Maryland's second and third leading tacklers after Campbell were safeties. The Terps play four linebackers, and we all know what that means. (laughs) So, yeah, here's the thing, though. As Sam said, kind of off the top, Maryland returns 10 starters, and they did stone Penn State, and they did hang with Rutgers, and they did play better later in the year, and this wasn't the worst D in the history of the earth. It was just a garden-variety, really crappy defense it's still going to be a really crappy defense this year, but it's probably going to be slightly less crappy. And someone out of those 10 youngsters is probably going to step up and distinguish himself. So, you know, we'll see. It ain't the worst defense on the face of the earth. Probably not much more.
0: It's because turning to the offense, I mean, talk, talk about a roller coaster. They, uh, I, I guess you could call
1: them the model of inconsistency. Yeah, I mean, they scored three points in week one against us and then 45 in week two against Penn State out of nowhere. Uh, it was, yeah, it was a bonkers year. So with that wild inconsistency, they they do bring back uh, quite a few guys. Yeah, I like I kind of think the same thing I thought last year about this team this year and that they have the potential to be kind of terrifying if everything comes together. I mean you know, the, the inconsistency really made it difficult to evaluate them last season. And, and even maybe more so than the defense, I think. So week one, right, they have brand new everything with, with Tonga Vailoa QB, new offensive coordinator, all sorts of new everything against the what turned out to be the top defense in the conference. Weeks two and three, their offense is literally unstoppable, upsetting Minnesota and Penn State. They were point. Underdogs or more in both those two games that they won outright. I don't think that's been done since like the 70s. At some point, um, it's bonkers. Then they have a three-week layoff with all the COVID con- cancellations. They come out of that layoff. I mean, ima- imagine that you're Talia Tongavailoa. You have just started three football games. One went terrible, and then you figured stuff out and were awesome in the next two. You sit down on your duff for three weeks. Of course it's going to be hard to get back up to speed. So then, like, they're anemic in that loss to IU. They were also down 20-plus players uh, to COVID protocol, including two of their thro- th- two of their top three wideouts and um, Jake Funk, the starting running back. And then Talia misses the Rutgers game, and they lose an OT. So, like it's damn near impossible to to evaluate what they did last year and, and pick trends out of it because it's just, it's such wild extremes. But, you know, that being said, I felt like Tonga Vailoa really proved last year that he's what he was made out to be, which is the potential to be a very good QB. Like, you know, not a five-star guy like his brother, but certainly, um, has a lot of arm talent, uh, you know, in the right, in the right setup, on the field with against the right team, he can do really, really well throwing the ball. I mean, I think he threw for over 300 against, uh, in, in, in both those games against Minnesota and Penn state. Um, I feel like the key to stopping him is contain. You keep him in the pocket and you, and you limit the damage he does on the ground. Then you can force him into bad decisions and he's not as accurate, you know, in, in, in throwing from the pocket, you chase him around, you're effed. Uh, and that's, you know, go, go rewatch the Penn state game. If you want to see that play out in, in, alive. Uh, now that being said, it is easier said than done to contain him and and limit his damage on the ground. Um it was Northwestern and Indiana, the two best secondaries in the conference that actually slowed him last year, but still like you know, he's good, he's he's got a year under his belt, you know, imagine that he didn't have that 3-week layoff and he got a chance to play Michigan and Michigan State while he was still like relatively hot. Like look out. Um I think he could have done really nice things in those games. So You know, he's back. He's going to be probably better. I mean, you saw the improvement from week one to week two was was palpable and um, exponential. Uh, I'd like to think that the coaching staff is is going to do more to try to get him in space and um, get him out on the run, you know, where he can be most effective. They did bring in a grad transfer from uh, the Virginia Military Academy in Reese Udinski. Now, this dude is super legit. Apparently, he has, like... Pro, like NFL pro potential. Uh, he got injured in the spring, I want to say, or like something happened um, with injury. So I don't, I don't think there's actually a quarterback controversy or, or, or competition coming this fall, but they actually have a, a, a legit experienced guy behind Tonga Valoa if he does get injured. So they're pretty set at QB. The receivers on this team are absolutely bonkers. The top four are all legit deep threats. Each one of them averaged 14 or more yards per catch last year. Uh, I talked a lot about Dante Demas and Ja'Shawn Jones uh, returning. And, um, you know, Demas brings some size. J- Jones is kind of like your standard six foot one 180 180-something-pound receiver, but he's really good. Like I said, he can stretch defenses. Rakeem Jarrett was awesome as a freshman. He brings in elite speed. This is the five-star uh, recruit out of the D.C. area who everybody was raving about, like, as soon as fall camp started. He was great he missed that Indiana game um, with, I, I think, because of COVID protocols. And, uh, but, but still, like, proved out, you know, everything that you would have hoped from, to, to see from him as a freshman you saw. And then Brian Cobb is the fourth guy. Again, all four of these guys average 14 or more yards per catch. All four of them have deep threat speed. You've also got a tight end, uh, Okonkwo, who didn't play last year after contributing as a freshman. This is this is like a legit starting five on a basketball team. I mean, they're not you know they're not six eight six ten type type players, but they've got a diversity of heights, a diversity of um, of body types. They are going to be matchup problems for for other teams. They don't have a ton of recruits uh, coming in this year or a ton of depth behind that starting crew. They did add uh, freshman Marcus uh, Fleming, who transferred from Nebraska, who was a, you know, not a top end recruit, but certainly a reasonable one. So I like this unit is really good. Um, Jones and Demas are the only two upperclassmen in the entire starting lineup on offense as as juniors. So they're not, you know, they've got some, um, some experience and tenure to them as well. Uh, shifting to to running back, I I don't fully understand how Jake Funk was the starter at running back last year. He was a fifth year senior. Like got drafted too. Yeah, yeah, he was a seventh round draft pick by the Rams. So I, he was a fifth year senior. He was coming off two, coming off his second ACL surgery. He did not. I mean, he didn't run very much against Northwestern, um, in part because they got down so quick. But like. He turned out to be just fine last year. He averaged 8.6 yards per carry. Now, that was, like, he averaged, I think, 5 against us, roughly 5 against Penn State, but then went absolutely bananas against Minnesota and Rutgers, averaged over 10 yards per carry against both of those teams. I think he ran for 221 yards total against Minnesota just nuts. I still don't understand it. I mean, they had these two awesome freshmen in Penny Boone and Isaiah Jacobs, and basically neither one of them saw the field because Funk was was good, and they gave him the ball. Maybe this was, you know, like a a, hey, this is the senior, and he's fine, and we're going to let him go and not burn these other guys and let them kind of get up to speed. You know, this year is, is kind of a throwaway year anyway. That's certainly possible. They also only ran the ball 150 times. I mean, they got down pretty quick against us, against Indiana. They had to throw. But Boone and Jacobs, so Funk is gone, right? He was a fifth-year senior. Boone and Jacobs, like I mentioned, uh, they both still have four years of eligibility, and I, I just think they have a lot higher upside than than Funk did. Um, they're both huge. Penny Boone is 245. Uh, Jacobs weighs in, I think, at 220. They have another guy, a senior um, named Tavon Fleet-Davis, uh, who is another 220-pound receiver and, or a, a running back. I think what's going to be most interesting amongst these three guys is – who can demonstrate an ability to catch the ball out of the backfield because if I think about what best complements um Vailo's skill set and the fact that they've got four like awesome downfield receivers is a running back that can take advantage of defenses that're gonna have to to cover four verticals and whether it's making plays in the flat or coming in underneath the coverage or you know wheel routes like they just they have so many options that they can go to and if one of these guys has good ha- good hands in addition to like, the obscene like size that they and speed that they all possess, like look out. Uh, so all all that being said, the offensive line remains a problem. They gave up way too many sacks last year. I think the most sacks in the conference, um, despite only playing five games. They lost uh, their like two of their best starters on offensive line. They lost to power five transfers. One went to Virginia Tech and one went to Pitt. To pit. So that's not good. Uh, they do bring back plenty of guys who were in the room last year, like like roughly I think seven players with starting experience. Here's what's wild, though: the projected starters on the offensive line four sophomores and a redshirt freshman. And I mentioned the two the two wideouts who are the only two juniors in the whole starting eleven. I mean, they can basically run back this entire team verbatim next year, and I just I think that's going to afford Maryland some really interesting opportunity to. Um, you know, to, to build this offense and start to build an offensive identity for themselves, knowing that they've got a lot of continuity, um, not just next year, but the year after, assuming assuming guys stay. So if they can get they can get people to buy in, if they can capture some of the magic that that occurred in that Penn State, that Minnesota game, if they can keep Tango Valoa healthy and 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 keep getting him out of the pocket where he can do his best work, that could be a lot of fun to watch in twenty one. They're going to make a ton of mistakes, but. My money is that they get somebody fired at another school. Nice. I like that. Um,
0: We'll go through their schedule. Uh, They open up uh, at home against West Virginia and then Howard. I'm going to refrain from making my annual joke about Howard and how he should bring his (laughs) friends. I say it every year. It it never lands. So we'll, we'll go ahead and just let that one go. Uh, Friday night at Illinois, then home for Kent state uh, and Iowa. Also on a Friday night, they travel to Ohio State. They get their bye, then they're at Minnesota, home for Indiana, Penn State, at Michigan State, home for Michigan, and then finish off the season at Rutgers. I mean, it, it, they're they're not they're not a good team. Here's so here's the thing: is
2: like part of me, and and this is something that I think it's important to to factor in when we look at like what happened with them last year. A, the Penn State game is. A total anomaly that runs in the face of most of the other things that happened for them last season, good and bad. That game just exists on a different level. And knowing everything that, you know, the pro- all the problems Penn State had and the way everything manifested in that one game, um, that's part of it. The other part of it is, and this goes to, you know, when you hear Scuzz talk about like what Maryland's trotting out on the offensive line this year, it's kind of easy to get caught up in that, like, Maryland's got so many ponies at the skill positions, but you look at last year, and you take that Penn State game out, um, and we talked about the fact that Penn State's got all kind, you know, had all kinds of issues, including on the defensive side of the ball last year, and for all that talent, they didn't put up points against anyone who was a good defense last year, and I mean, like, Maryland and, I mean, uh, Northwestern Indiana just stoned them. Like, Maryland just did not score points in those games. And that's kind of the, the thing, because I look and I'm, I'm like, I just don't have faith, especially with the state of that offensive line, that they can score points against any competent defense. Here's the thing, though.
1: Not a heck of a lot of competent defenses on their schedule. <laughs> well, well, but I think what's what's important is they didn't really play any competent defenses last year, right? They played well, us in us in Indiana. But well, well, well great defenses played... or bad defenses, exactly. Yeah. Oh, right, like, right. Nobody in the middle. I mean, like Rutgers is not in the middle, correct? No. Um, and they didn't do great against that defense, but they also didn't have Tonga Vailoa. So I like I just. No. If, oh, if, if they had gotten to play a Michigan State they, or a Michigan, if they
2: gotten to play Michigan, they very likely would have won that game. I mean, it's their that's totally true. Um, I think, but that's the weird thing looking at their schedule because it's like Iowa, Ohio State, Indiana, and and a Penn State team that we think is going to have a lot of its issues figured out, and especially is like that's not going to lose to Maryland two years in a row. I feel like those games are all pretty much locks. And then there are just a lot of crapshoots because their defense truly is atrocious. And the idea that if their offensive line is potentially bad, a team with a bad offensive line and a really bad defense is like, that's not a good recipe. But, I mean... Let
1: let me introduce you to Illinois. Oh, that's what I was about to say. Howard,
2: Howard, Illinois, Kent State, Minnesota, Michigan State, and Rutgers. I mean, like... Everything I just described does not differentiate Maryland too much from any of those teams.
1: And and they get Michigan at home on November 20th, which, like, right. circle that date, right?
2: Right. I mean, I by no means think that they're going to be good, and there's a real possibility that they're going to be bad. It's just their schedule is not—they got Minnesota and Illinois in their crossover games. They also play Howard. They play Kent State. I was looking at West Virginia. West Virginia beat Army in their bowl game last year, and I think went six and four. So that's a legitimate team. But heck, you know, like let's let's not trot out uh, the Texas Longhorns if we're looking for examples of Maryland picking up. <laughs> season starting wins against the grain. <laughs> Let's say it's not against a Big 12 team, that's yeah, exactly Mar- Maryland a versus the Big
0: 12.
1: <laughs> right. Doesn't seem just, to go well for Maryland typically.
2: Right. Let's just say I at once think Maryland is is by no means a good football team overall. There's also a totally possible chance that they start the season 4 and 0. Oh. Um and and even theoretically 5 and 2 depending on a result against the Gophers. I still don't think that this is a good team, uh, but, you know, I suppose if you talked me into a ceiling, I mean, the absolute ceiling, they could probably crack a winning record, maybe. I mean, realistically, I'm thinking five or six wins probably, but, and almost all that baked into the front of the season. So you you
1: think they could theoretically go bowling?
2: (sighs) I mean, everything that could go right for them would have to go right. Ah, oh, see um, I
1: disagree. I think I think bowling is very attainable. Um I mean they they have to play at Michigan State, but I think that's gettable. Yeah, that's true. When like, you look I, at Rutgers like, is gettable. And like then, Howard
2: Howard, Illinois, Kent State, Rutgers, Minnesota, and Michigan State. It's not a murderer's road it, it, to bowling.
1: It, it's like if you get one of Minnesota or West Virginia, you're in you're in good shape. Now they can't they can't screw up, right? They can't have a, a game that they should win where they show up and they and they screw the pooch because then they're they're out on their heels. But um, take care of business in the games that they're like, you know, they line up all right. And then you know, West Virginia at home, Minnesota on the road. I think I think that's going to be a, a, a tough cookie to handle. They're going to be pretty beaten up after coming off Ohio State. I just, I mean, that's a say what you will about Minnesota, who has a lot of problems. They've got a pretty experienced QB and a really good head coach, so. You know, I, like, probably give Minnesota the the benefit of the doubt there, but there are six other winnable games for sure on the schedule. And then, you know, a Michigan team, which (laughs) who knows what that looks like by November 20th. Um, Yeah, true. You know, licking their wounds with with Ohio State on deck. Um, I don't know, like, crazier things have happened than James Franklin screwing up a game on the road against a team like Maryland. I, I don't know. I mean, like... He almost lost to Akron if the running back just just kneeled down, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's it, it
2: is. I just keep coming back to like if the because again, it's like you talked. Their receiver core is awesome, and they've got a quarterback with high potential, and those are two awesome things to have. It's just it, you're you described a situation where it's possible this is a really bad offensive line, and.
1: If that's true. It's also possible. If you think about the structure of their offense, though, it's also possible that a guy like Mike Loxley can scheme around that effectively because they don't need, I mean, like Tonga Vailoa is better outside of the pocket than in it. And that can make an offensive line look a lot better very quickly. True.
2: I do think though, I think back to the Northwestern game and really to an extent, even the Minnesota game. And I just think like this Potentially is an extremely soft team, and that's always gonna like limit your ceiling because yeah, they're gonna need to fair. play. Like they're gonna like they're looking at giving up thirty five points a game. You know, thirty to thirty five points a game, and they're gonna have to win shootout football. I mean, like the the Minnesota game last year is kind of like their recipe where Talia goes off. Um, and again, like they're playing. Enough mediocre to bad defenses on their schedule that, like, I think he can put up those kind of points. Yeah. You know, well,
1: and, and like to that to that point, if it's if it's windy and wet in State Col or in um, East Lansing on November thirteenth, right? Like, right. They, Which they, is highly some, likely, th- I think. Yeah, they've got some horses uh, at the running back position, but if they can't open holes effectively, that's going to be a problem. So, yeah, it's, uh, that's it's a, it's a legit point.
2: But I would certainly say, I mean, like last year, we saw nothing to make us believe that Michigan, Michigan State, or Rutgers were definitively better than Maryland, and like, I, it's like I feel like that's going to be the same. Uh, like
1: F- F- Phil Steele's got Michigan State in the basement of the of the Big Ten East.
2: Yeah, they're all so. I mean, those none of those teams, um, you know, those teams all have massive issues up to and most definitely including the Wolverines. So. Um, yeah, I mean, they're Maryland's going to win some games. There's no doubt about that. Um, and if they do, it's probably going to be an exciting fashion and Talia Tagovailoa is going to probably look really good doing it. And again, if, uh, if they get that West Virginia win to start the season, they're probably looking at a four or no start. They're going to win every game in September. So, um, it'll, it will be interesting. They're going to be a potentially exciting watch.
0: Can, Can we talk about the Ron Zook factor? What's the Ron Zook? Is he on the team? What is? Where's is These he? These are special teams coach.
2: <laughs> my my goodness. Well, I mean, like they, you know, it's nil time now, Sammy. Like they can probably. You got to bring a, a banker in to show them how.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what did what did Zook coach uh, at Florida before taking? Was he OC? I think so under Urban. Yeah. Um. I, I'm amazing. I don't know. I mean, like, I bet, I bet the Zucker can still get people hyped. I like, you know, watch out for the special teams. I hey Zucker
2: in Memorial stadium on a Friday night, September 17th. There will be dozens of fans in the stands for that one. It's going to be, it's going to be popping off.
0: Oh boy. Okay. Um, <laughs> any, anything else to mention before we uh, shut the door in Maryland? Do you know that Ron's Z- that Ron
1: Zook went to Miami of Ohio. I think I did know that. That's so weird. Uh, I, so I'm <laughs> wrong. He was he was part of, part was, of the Cradle um, of Coaches. He was DC with Florida. Um, and then when he took over for Meyer, it was coming out of the NFL where he had been a defensive coordinator. So he's he's a DC. So maybe that, maybe that lines up better with special teams. I don't know. He was special teams coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers for for a couple of years, and the Packers. I, I guess the
2: only other thing I would say is like, right. Maryland's absolute dream scenario is the offensive line comes together and Talia takes another huge leap and they, they rise to the top of that definitive power vacuum in the entire second half of the big 10 East. Right. I mean, it's like fourth, maybe even, you know, if everything broke right for them, third best team in the East, like that's, I guess that's theoretically, that's what they're playing. For. What, do I well, think that will well, happen?
1: No, I do not. Well, and let's say like Michigan State stays down. Um, We know what Rutgers is. Michigan like has a close to worst case season, and Michael Penix gets injured. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then like all of a sudden they're in the mix. Like I, this Maryland team is not going to beat Ohio State it's not going to beat Penn state unless something catastrophic happens to Sean Clifford. Um, and even then, I don't know that they could beat Penn state. So, uh, but I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't take much like other havoc to envision a place where they finish second in that side of the conference, which is crazy. I mean, and if that happens,
2: Talia is going to be an all big 10 quarterback for sure. Um, and that that's what it would take to happen.
1: he, He would have to be, or, or, um, uh, Udinski. Like, like if something happened to him and Udinski took over, like it would, it like, there's, there's no way that story plays out unless the quarterback for Maryland just completely balls out. Right.
2: And and teams that are bad on defense, that are particularly weak up front and don't provide pressure, Maryland's scoring on those teams. They got all the ponies. Like they've, they Maryland has no shortage of weapons for a team that can't get to the quarterback. Um, so. That's the and, – and there are – we've we've previewed some of them. We haven't previewed others. But there are no shortage of teams that have that problem uh, on Maryland's schedule.
0: All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and leave the Terrapins there. Um, they're turtles. Fear the turtle, and, yo. Fear the turtle. Absolutely. Um, they are slow, so they're not going too far. Uh, they are turtles after all. <laughs> Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at westlawpirates. And you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the Westlaw Riding Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Scousboy and Sam Walter, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.